Welcome to Camera Ready and Able, the podcast that explores the intersection of media change and personal growth. I'm your host, Barbara Barna Abel, and my calling is to help you tap into your superpowers to thrive on camera and in life, and to make an impact on the world. This episode is brought to you by the phrase, relationships, it's who knows you. The topic of relationships and how important they are comes up a lot in my conversations on Camera Ready and Able. There's a famous phrase, I'm sure you've heard it, it's not what you know, it's who you know, which by the way, gets 25 billion, that's for the B, hits when you Google it. But I love this reframe instead. It's who you know and who knows you, because your skills are important and those 10,000 hours you put in do matter. But if you don't nurture relationships at the same time, you are undermining your success. It's a fact that media and entertainment are relationship-driven industries. People like to work with people they know and trust to deliver, to get the work done on time and on budget, and to make it well executed. And it's also a fact that media and entertainment are referral-driven businesses, and people recommend people they know, like, and trust, because those people will reflect well on them. So I pulled together a sort of best of featuring four recent podcast guests who all advanced their careers in major take it to the next level ways by nurturing relationships that turned into opportunities because of the people who knew them. I'd like to begin with career coach and Sundance award-winning actress, Emily Grace, whose previous episode on Camera Ready and Able was Write Your Dream Role. Emily got her break as an actor in the role that won her the award at Sundance without an agent. This is how she did it. I mean, you have to start working before you can get an agent. And it seems to be a paradox for many people. It Yes, it's a huge paradox. Um, so for me, I actually used to teach a program about this, which I don't anymore, but it's it comes down to your relationships. Mm. Um, so what I did was, you know, I was trying to, I was in a showcase, I was in a play that, that we were allowed to invite industry to, I don't know if people do showcases like that anymore. It was a long time ago, but it was a, it was a play where I invited industry people and industry people were invited. And so then you, you know, who came to the show because they leave their card. And so I got the card of everyone who came and I followed up with them. Seems incredibly simple yet. So many people don't actually do the follow-up to build the relationship or start the relationship. So I followed up with this casting director who at the time was mainly focused on casting background. And I could have easily said, oh, well, I don't want to do background. So I'm not going to do it. That I'm not going to follow up with this. I did it. And the timing, it was just was like serendipitous of like preparation opportunity meets luck is preparation meets opportunity, whatever that saying is. <laughs> yes. I have another a client who added persistence, which I love. Yes. Yes. Luck is opportunity meets um, preparation meets persistence. Yes. I can't say I, piece, yeah. It's hard. It's hard to speak today. Um, but so I reached out to her to, to, to thank her for coming to the show. And she called me soon after that and said, oh, by the way, I'm casting in a feature film with a friend of mine. So the film, the writer director of the film that went to Sundance was friendly with her. And so he, because they had a good relationship, invited her to cast the feature. So she called me in having seen me at the show. And it when she told me the breakdown, I knew it was just one of those moments where you're like, it's happening. So it was, uh, um, 
<laughs> it's a little offensive, but also it worked out great. So she's like, well, she's a plain woman from New Hampshire. And I was like, I'm from New Hampshire. <laughs> I can totally play plain, like easy. Um, so she started telling me the breakdown. And so that's how I got the original audition. I put myself out there. Someone came to see my work. I reached out to build a relationship with them and the timing just happened to be really perfect. I got the audition and then of course worked my little ass off to prepare and do the best job that I could. They called me back many, many, many times um, because they had wanted a star for my role. This is actually might be inspiring to people too. Um, when they say star only, or you think you don't have enough clout or credits or whatever or it Instagram is, followers Instagram followers. It. Yes. They wanted a star for my role and they couldn't find someone willing to do it. Cause it was about a sex worker. Um, and a lot of ac younger actresses at that time didn't want to be labeled as that. So they were turning it down. Um, when they got the Tony Award winner to come on board as, as the other leading role, she had the clout that they needed to raise the money. And so they were able to cast an unknown as the other lead, which is another, I could have easily talked myself out of it and said, oh no, I'm never gonna, but I, you know, I stayed the course. I did the absolute best work that I could possibly do. I just kept moving forward as if I already had the role and I was preparing to be on set. That's how I approached it. Um, oh, did you actually visualize? I'm sure that I did. I, I'm sure that I did. I mean, I was just living, breathing this character like all the time in my acting class with my partner at the time, just like reading the side over. I just was like living as if. <laughs> I think that's so important. And I'm yeah. just so glad that you brought up the point about relationships because it is a relationship driven yes. business to begin with. Um, and you, you took all the right steps and it's also a reminder too, and this has come up a number of times on the podcast, that um, especially in the acting space, that people have to see you a number of times. And that also when you get into, um, you know, things where money, there's budgets and and whether it's the casting director and people along the, the steps, anyway, you have to trust in your capacity. So yeah. in, before they're gonna put their reputation on the line and say, I can recommend this person. Now let's hear from J.D. Durkin, who is a host and reporter at the New York Stock Exchange for the financial news site, The Street, and previously created the Washington Bureau for Cheddar News when he was their White House and Capitol Hill correspondent. J.D. explained to me how he came to Washington as an outsider with zero contacts and developed key relationships by being patient and spending an extra 10 minutes waiting outside someone's door when that's what was required. Just like Emily, J.D. did a simple thing that no one else seemed to be doing. I guess it came as a surprise, but when I figured out the game, I said, okay, yeah, that makes sense. The, the doors you'll be able to open for yourself, if you just wait outside that room for 10 minutes longer, waiting to talk with that one person, you shake that person's hand, you look that person in the eyes, you introduce yourself in a humble way, you explain what you're there to do. That's like you're trying to meet this one press secretary, this one cabinet official, this one chief of staff to Senator so-and-so, that little interaction will be able to be like, cool, now I know who you are. Now I'll make, you know, we'll call on you at the press conference or we'll take your question ahead of time or, hey, you want an off the record with the congressman? All right, yeah, we know JD. JD's in good company. It's those little social interactions and that social equity 
is really what ends up driving, I think, some of the most impressive things you see journalists do. How do investigative journalists get their information? They have trusted sources at those places that leak them that information. That's a personal relationship we don't see. That is actually how the sausage gets made. Really good TV correspondents are building off of a base of knowledge that comes from things people are telling them behind closed doors. And if you have a member of the White House press staff be willing to let you into the office, close the door behind them and say, hey, we're off the record or we're on background X, Y, Z, well, then you could go out and, and really talk from a place of confidence because you got it literally from the source. And so it's all that that little social game is uh, a big, big part of how work gets done down there. And I'm thankful. I don't think it took me that long in the scheme of things to kind of figure it out, but it's something I'm still getting better at every day. You know, one of the things that impressed me and I learned from you was you were, I guess, willing, but it was smart and strategic to go and ask for interviews with the, the younger Congress people and junior senators who weren't getting at the people who were available and so excited to talk. They're on committees. Congressman Ro Khanna comes to mind, who now is on every imaginable network, does Fox, does MSNBC, does Bill Maher show constantly. And Congressman Khanna and I started on Capitol Hill right around the same time. He had the unenviable office draw of the fifth floor, very rare fifth floor in Rayburn, which like the, the babiest of the freshman members of the House class get. And that's where he and I met. That's where he and I hit it off. That's where his staff and I used to kind of meet. And that was a great relationship. And years later, he would still give us credit. He would say, you know, J.D. Cheddar, that was like the one dude who was just showing up all the time. And he's become a much bigger voice. And so I think that's a good example. Absolutely. Next up is Buki Alegbidi, who is an award-winning host, producer, and content creator who knows his work ethic is his superpower. Buki also knows that television is a collaborative business and that good relationships are key to successful collaborations. Buki moved from behind the camera to in front when he won the Create Cooking Challenge. I'll let him explain. And they're like, so apply to be a, this Create Cooking, whatever. So I did it. Um, I shot it in my tiny studio apartment, little kitchen. Um, I made chocolate whoopie pies with whipped cream frosting. Still delicious till this day. And then I submitted and then I heard nothing. And at that point I was working behind the scenes for CBS and I was in my office randomly at like four o'clock on a Tuesday. And I get an email from Create TV saying, congratulations. And I completely forgot about it. I was like, what's this congratulations about? Is this spam? And no, I won the Create Cooking Challenge. Um, it was actually the first thing I've ever really won in my life, actually. Um, I, I don't I don't play the lottery. I've never really been in raffles. So that was the first thing I won. It was fantastic. I met everyone from America's Public Television, including their president CEO, who unfortunately is retiring this year, Cynthia Fetterman. And we got to work and we made this, uh, I think it was eight episode digital cooking series that was also on air. And it was a great experience because it really, uh, it was my first intro into self-producing really gathering the elements putting a team together and for this goal of making the show because they just gave you a little bit of a grand prize and some equipment but i already know from television that that's not gonna make a great show for you so 
Uh, what does really, make um, a great show for you? This is a great story. It's like, what did you learn from this? And what makes a great show in your opinion? Lord have mercy so much. <laughs> I think the first, the biggest thing is your team. I don't, I, there, I don't have any hubris or ego. I'm just, I, I just have a nice personality. I know that's what I bring to the table, but I cannot do 95% of the things that these people can do from camera work to audio editing. And like, as someone who has worked a camera, has edited, it's always good to have those little things in your toolbox. So I feel like it's always good, especially for me, I've worked behind the scenes in front of the camera all over the place. So I pretty much know everyone's job, which I think is very helpful. Do I want to do everyone's job? Absolutely not. But it's great to have, okay, you know, I can edit, throw it in your toolbox. Oh, I can, I can, I can work some lighting, put it in your toolbox. Just so when things come about, you know, first, you know, when people are not doing what they're supposed to be doing, because you already know how it's supposed to be done. And two, you know, the, these are times where you have to do multiple things. Like they're gone are the, the good old 1990s days where there were like 100 people on set. Now it's like 25 <laughs> and people are doing like four jobs each. So it's good to know everything like that. So, you know, even for lighting, like I lit this place up. This place is this place is a, a, a cave. This place is lit up right now um, because I learned that from actually working on the show What Not to Wear back in the day. So, yeah, so I won the Korea Cooking Challenge. Uh, it was wonderful. We made the episodes uh, and yeah, teamwork, 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 teamwork. That's that's all you need. If you can put a t great team together, you can go to the stratosphere. Buki went on to tell me how building and maintaining relationships at PBS helped him go to the next level and create Table for All with Buki Allegbidi, which was nominated for multiple Emmy Awards this year. So Create TV laid the groundwork because, uh, so I was actually feeling, this is my scheduled break. Uh, I was feeling a little burned out. I was working at CBS for five years. Uh, I said, okay. This is not getting me towards the Oprah Buki show 2025 goal. So it's time to go. It gave me five years of blessings and a killer paycheck. Thank you, Lord. And traveling all over the country. Um, but I left there and then kind of started over again. And I said, let me, let me, let me do a little foray into news really quick. So I was working in news. And then um, I took a job for NJPBS. And it was like a associate producer role. And the woman was like, you know, you're overqualified for this, right? And I was like, yeah, but I need a break. <laughs> I need to, I need to gather my thoughts for the next round, for the next push. So I got that job and I'm in there working and uh, I was there for about a year. And I was like, you know, I think I would be really good as a reporter here. And at that point, people were dropping like flies and I was like, okay, well, if they're, if they're in need of people, I am on air. I do this all the time. At this point, I've been doing, I was doing it for about seven years. So I was like, okay, I think I can like do a little something. I mean, it's not hard. I can totally do it. And so I go to the news director and I say, listen, uh, I do on air stuff all the time. I can send you a reel. Uh, I do more so host sort of things, but we can definitely put on a little news voice for you um, and give you some news reports. And it was like, oh, yeah, 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 sure. We'll, we'll, we'll think about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay. So six months later, I, you know, revisit the conversation. Hey, you know, I would love to be on air. I think I could really be great, you know, giving reports and this, this, and that, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, 
yeah, sure. We'll, we'll think about that. All right. Well, listen, you don't have to tell me twice. <laughs> I already know what that means. Um, so I was like, okay, well, um, my favorite quote is from Milton Burrow, when opportunity doesn't knock, build your own door. So um, I decided to build my own door. And the good news is that America's Public Television is basically a cousin of NJPBS. So, um, and they're all under the WNET umbrella. So everyone knows everyone. So people who, people knew me when I was at NJPBS that I didn't even know about, but they just knew because they saw my name on the email list. So uh, I started making pitch decks and I started reaching out to the people at WNET, the people at APT, pitch decking, pitch decking. Like when I tell you, I went through about 140 versions of a pitch deck uh, for various shows that I was just thinking about. Uh, and I was just pitching to everyone who would listen. I started getting, creating some traction, like, oh, this is interesting. Okay, cool. This is interesting. Uh, but really it was just like, okay, this is, this is interesting. Uh, the key was, is that our general manager of the whole station uh, left and a new one was coming in. And as we all know, with people that are coming in, they want to make a splash. They want to make a big name for themselves. So as soon as he came in, I sent an email, hey, I'm Buki. Uh, I work as a producer here, but, you know, I've been doing this, this and that. I would love to, you know, chat with you and, you know, welcome you to the team. And he emails me back and he was like, oh, I already know who you are. And I was like, whoa you already know who I am. Who told you? <laughs> and he was like, oh, oh, everyone's been talking about you and the show that you, these shows you have brewing, would love to talk to you about it. So I met with him. He goes through the list. He was like, oh, I like this. He was like, we like, I, I like the food stuff. And he was really into High on the Hog on Netflix. And I was like, well, I can give you a High on the Hog. I can do that for you. Uh, I think like a few months later, um, they greenlit the show. And we, we started. And then the real work began. You know, it's always about the work. And my final guest for this episode is TV host, media personality, and popular narrator, Matthew Hoffman, whose big break came when he was invited to audition to be the official narrator of the US version of the UK TV smash, Love Island. Matthew was competing with household name talent and felt there was no way he was ever going to book the job, but he was so honored to be invited to audition, he decided to go all out for it, not to get hired, but to maintain his relationship with the casting team and production company so they would call him again for the next opportunity. Matthew's story inspires me every time I listen to it. Matthew, like Buki, knows his being industrious is a superpower. I think my industrious is what got me the gig. Uh, and, um, you know, Love Island uh, is such a, um, for a host, because uh, we're speaking to the host audience, right? Like it, it ticked every box that I did not know it could tick. Um, meaning, so I was invited to audition to for Love Island because the, the president of, of the production company thought that, quote, my humor and sensibility would be right for it. Now, at that point, I had been to ITV auditioning for years. We're talking five, six years. Uh, so much so one of the execs would line the hallway with my headshot by the time I got off the elevator to their office. Like, I kept going in there. I never booked anything, ever. And I was like, all right, well, these are the sharpest knives in the drawer. At least I'm in the, I'm in the space and I'm so flattered to be there. And um, a mentor of mine, um, lovely, lovely mentor of mine uh, was like, your humor would be so right for this. And I was like, okay. In my head, I'm like, another audition I will not get. 
I go home, I get the sides like two days later, I get the sides and, you know, as a host, anybody listening, you get pretty much the same sides throughout your career and like traditional hosts. It's like coming up next, welcome back, you know, we're da 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 And this was so different. This was so funny and so different. And it was a narrator and nobody goes to narrating school. You know what I mean? Like it was just such a rare, unless you're David Attenberg or Morgan Freeman, like you're not getting these offers to narrate, you know, certain things. And I was like, well, this is, this is just different. And then they had you watch like four acts um, from the UK, from the UK uh, series. And then they gave you the script that you were to voice with the same words that the UK, you know, did. And I'm watching this, I was like, oh my God, this is so funny. And I had proliferally had known about the show, but I, I didn't know, know about the show. I never watched a single episode and I, I just knew it was a thing, but like was kind of just like always there. And after I watched the four acts, I then Googled the show and I was like, this is a phenomenon. This is, this is the biggest show over there for them. And, um, it's just massive. And I was like, I will never get it. I will never get it. It's too big. It will go to every single famous person and failing the fame level of it all that I have to compete with. It will then go to every distinctive vocal quality, which at the time now, uh, at the time I did not think I had, and I had never done a voiceover in my life. So I'm stuck with this script that is amazing. I'm stuck with this franchise that is going because so many times we audition for things that don't go, you know, like just don't go. This baby was leaving the port with or without me. And I was like, I have a shot, but I don't, but I have a shot. So I have like 24 hours to really make this work for me. So I knew I wasn't going to get it. And I was like, (laughs) I'm going to take the biggest swing of my life. And I rewrote every single line that came through for the UK version that they wanted you to read. So if the line was like, you know, uh, Barbara is looking at Zoom for her podcast. Mm -hmm. I rewrote, Barbara and her bangs are looking at the (laughs) Zoom. So every time I could infuse my own lens comedically, I did it. And then I rewrote everything. I was really confident in, you know, what it was to me. Cause I was like, I'm not getting it. So at least I'm gonna like die on my own sword here. And then I panicked because I had never done a voiceover in my life. And I was like, wait a second, the line I just rewrote about Barbara and her bangs has to fit within the time code that they gave me. So I got from 117 to 121 to make my new joke in the time that they had. So I called up an audition place that does like commercials and voice stuff on Ventura Boulevard in the Valley. And I said, I will pay you money I did not have. And I will pay you to take uh, take the afternoon off. Give me from 12 to 4 because I need you with a stopwatch to to sit and, uh, you know, make sure that the line that I thought was so great actually makes it because if it doesn't make it visually with the with the television, there's no point. So I did. I did that. I was there for about three and a half hours doing an audition, just an audition. And I sent it in and Dropbox alerted me that they had opened it, which was kind of rare and weird. And they called me, a casting director called me, who I had met previously for a Bravo show that I didn't get through ITV. And she's like, hey, not for nothing. Just want to let you know, it was a Friday. She's like, we just played your thing and we are dying. (laughs) So funny. And I was like, oh my God, amazing. Thank you so much. Done. That was up. 
October, right? October, November, December, January, February, March, April, May. Yeah. Driving, minding my own business, no callback, no meeting with CBS, no nothing. And I got a call from ITV. It was the president of ITV. He's like, where are you? And I'm like, driving. <laughs> it's like trying to get where I'm supposed to go. And he's like, okay, before I call your lawyer, uh, I wanted to let you know that you are the official voice of Love Island USA. And apparently, um, as the story is told to me, there were about 60 execs and producers of everywhere from, you know, ITV and CBS in the room. They had blindly, um, I believe, uh, uh, played everybody's tape. Very famous people's tapes were played. And no names, no headshots, no nothing. They just, everyone had to listen because it's such an intimate thing as the narrator. And I think I was number one just by like sheer whatever. And everyone went around and they were like, number one. And then the president of the network was like, play number one again. And that was it. Oh. And then I was in Fiji literally three weeks later with a VO producer who literally had a stopwatch <laughs> timing every single line I had written. So uh, it was a wild, wild journey. Um, and yeah, as far as, you know, uh, that job goes, I, you know, I was doing my first promos for CBS in a booth that was just beautiful. This recording studio I was like, I am so fired. They are so on to me. It is, so, it is going to be so obvious to them that I have never laid down a silky track in my life ever. And I thought I was going to be fired during the promo stage. Uh, and then I would say what thousands and thousands of voice voiceovers uh, later. Uh, yeah, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm just plotting, and this is what you know. Years have already passed, but I'm. This is what an incredible story. But I want to unpack elements of that yeah. for people who are listening. Just to understand. Let's go back to the very beginning. So, one, you have the voice in your head, and so even though the voice in your head sounded uh, pretty loud and definitive, you kept going. Like you didn't let it stop you. Two, the um, instinctive strategy around what do I need, what do I not know how to do. The idea that you called up voice recording yep. place in the Valley, use resources you didn't have, which we translate to investing in your career. Yep. You were like, I have to, I have to make an investment if I want to get a return. And also too, I want to say it wasn't an investment in that job. Like it was obviously, but the people who were asking me to audition, it was for that. It was for the next one right it's to oh talk more about that say that one more time that is so amazing and true and right on explain it's so i knew like with every fiber in my being i would love to say i manifested it and i did <laughs> manifest all of these opportunities but i knew <laughs> that i was never getting this job like there was just no way so then it becomes like a pure almost ego thing well i want to do good because like i can and I will. So it's kind of like, I'm going to die on my own sword and just like leave the building, you know, going out the way I want to, because I'm not going to get this, but also the caliber of, of executives and production company that had asked me to do this, that believed in me to do this are so top shelf in every, on a human level, they're so lovely that you don't even want to, I never wanted to give a seven when I could give an 11. Right? Like, I know. Oh, yeah. I, I am just like so in heaven with this whole story because this is the proof positive is you focused on what you could control. You, you had already bought into the idea that you weren't getting the job. But right. I would just realize like you have no control over the outcome because there's so many variables to the outcome. I want to say, too, sorry, on the control <laughs> of it all, 
what I learned recently, not learned, but what was reconfirmed for me that I knew with every fiber of my being my entire life in every capacity, but was reconfirmed for me is the control. And I think that people listening who want to get into the biz or who are in the biz or, or whatever, it's interesting. Um, recently, I was confirmed two things. Those were one, the only control that I believe, like unless you're an Andy Cohen, unless you are, you know, really calling shots, right? That you can make something happen by tomorrow. You're only in, as a host and a talent, I believe that you are, and I want to star that asterisk, I believe this may not be right for everybody, but I am in control of two things, two things. One, how the excellence in which I do the work, so the work itself, I'm in control of that. And I am in control of the way I affect the room when I do it. Everything else has nothing to do with me. I was born the way I look. I, 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 I you know, I, uh, a network may want to go with a woman who's younger or older, whatever. I can't control that. I cannot control that. I can just control the audition. I can control the actual job and how I make people feel when I'm in the room. Am, am I a good person? Am I nice? Did I say thank you when somebody held a door for me? Like all of that stuff that we all know as humans. But the reason I say that is because it's an amazing, amazing thing to wrap your mind around. You're off the hook for everything else. <laughs> it has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with you other than those two things is for what I have recently been reconfirmed about. So yeah, control is interesting because it's the only thing you have. Beautifully, perfectly said. Remember before we just hopped on the call, I said I was so excited to talk to you oh, because it's that same energy and it's you do. You just leave the room, even if it's a virtual room, better than you found it. And that is the magic to everything, because we do, professionally on, on my side of the camera, we do talk to each other. And what you were beginning to say when I brought up this point was the fact that it, it deepens the ongoing relationship you have with these people who, who offered you the audition in the first place. And you want to, and, and so that's one of the things that you're focused on is getting to the, keeping the conversation going, keeping the door open, keeping the relationship going. That was beautiful. Okay, here's another thing I'm sure may be going through people's minds. And it's more common than anyone realizes the seven months it took to call you. Do you have an idea what was going on in those seven months that in terms of the decision-making process? I don't know if anybody ever brought it up to you. The only thing, the only thing I knew what was going on in those seven months was a lot of Ben and Jerry's for me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think that um, from what I've been told, uh, you know, uh, I was going to say between us, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> people are listening. Um, I, that part was so integral and is so integral to the show. It is make or break. Um, and I think once they figured that out, everything else they had to do. Um, yeah, there were no callbacks. There were no, it was, there was no like, oh, well, we're reading X and if X turns it down, that's not how it went. Um, I think it was such a big production that they had not bigger fish to fry, but once they knew, okay, we have our guy, cool. And, you know, I, the production company can vouch for me. We're, we're cool. And then I think it was, wow, building a villa in Fiji, build, doing all this, getting a host, like all of that stuff um, is the whispers I have heard, not confirmed, but that's that's kind of what I've, I've been told. No, but that's great. It's just because it's hard if you're not, if you've never worked in this to understand how that part works. And I do, I work with so many subject experts and people, 
you know, coming from other industries and businesses who come into this or pitching shows or somebody's developing an idea around their book or their business. And then they're shocked by how long things take. And I'm like, oh, yeah, oh you have no idea. Um, and, and so I just want to validate it, like, that it's, and there's so much happening creatively behind the scenes on a very high level. And I just thought that was a very great example of learning that. And then also the fact that you went on. You, because it's all you can do. You can't sit and, and worry and fester and wonder. You just keep going on with your work, whatever that is, training, building, uh, creating life. other stuff. Like you life, have to everything. build a life outside of waiting for that call. Because here's the deal. I have a selfie from that day. Like I have a selfie from the day that I got it. And I always get a little like uh, talking about it because I've been in the biz for a minute, right? So I think when everyone starts, you think I'm gonna get the call in the two years, the three years, the two weeks, then this. Love Island for me, I think was a 15 year play of being a host. And when I say 15 years, I mean from my very first creation of a reel, right? So that big call that I, I don't wanna put this out there, but I, I think it's important to be realistic too. I didn't know that that call was ever coming you know, because it wasn't five years. We're talking like 15 years of hard, crazy, insane work. And then it came. And the coolest thing ever was that I got to FaceTime my parents in the car, pulled over on the road and thank them with just tears streaming down my face because I didn't think that that call would come for them either. Like, I didn't think I would get the tangible, look, I've had lovely jobs throughout whatever, but this was a franchise. This was like, this is, it's, it's a thing, right? So um, the fact that I got to do that was so cool, you know? So it's in those 15 years, you're, you're doing uh, way past the 10,000 hours, right? But it's, you're also just, not resigning because that doesn't seem active, but you're like, look, and that's what I was saying back in the beginning. It's like, I treated every job as if it was Love Island. Every job, every, any person you ask who I've done anything for, whether it was like two episodes on, you know, whatever, uh, to this, it was always, you know, everything was so there and done. And I treated everything the same. So you, you kind of just, well, if that big job doesn't come, I'm happy with what I've done for the local news network at 8 a.m. You know what I mean? Like, there's no difference to me. Thank you, Matthew, Buki, JD, and Emily. And thank you for listening to Camera Ready and Able. Remember, it's what you know and who knows you. If you're looking for help tapping into your superpowers, I'm here for you. Please shoot me a note via my website, ableintermedia.com, and be sure to download my free ebook, 12 Tips for Success on Camera. And as always, please hit the subscribe button if you haven't already.